Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. So maybe we can talk a little bit too about, you know, how some of this applies to the workplace. I would love to, love to talk a little bit about the concept of armor, you know, with the workplace and own, the Own Your Armor book because I feel like it's such a good, um, kind of like a, a good concept and a good visualization and a good set of language to like frame conversations and conflict at work. So could you tell us a little bit about the concept of that book, Own Your Armor? Sure. So it begins with this idea that every one of us has two modes of operating we have our regular, nice, normal self, and we have an armored self, a version of ourselves that when we're under threat, we put on a di- certain kinds of armor and everyone has different types of armor. You know, some of us have like, we put on the same suit every time. It's always like an angry outburst. And some of us put on the same suit every time and it's always like a withdrawal. Um, but a lot of us have a lot of different kinds of suits of armor in our closet, the ways we act, react defensively when we're triggered. And I like to, to say, if you look around the room at a group of humans, there is not one person who doesn't get defensive. I mean, it, it drives me nuts when people say, oh, that guy, he's really defensive. Uh-huh. Like as if, you know, <laughs> there's only one guy who gets defensive. You know, we all have our defensive mode. And when things are happening in the workplace that are triggering, like natural threats that come up in the workplace, like a threat to your reputation or a threat to your success or a threat to your livelihood or, you know, those things affect us deeply and we armor up. So, and when you armor up, you actually are protecting yourself, but you add to the coldness of the environment around you because armor is metal. It's not warm. And other people looking at you lose their connection to you. And so it ends up adding to a culture of less humanity. And as soon as one person armors up, the environment feels more dangerous and then other people armor up. So mm-hmm. like what, what I might mean by that, okay, let's say um, one person's feeling mistreated by the boss. And so they go into the coffee room and they gossip about the boss with someone else. And now that has now, that makes them feel a little bit better and, you know, justified, understandable, but it actually has just now emitted a little more threat for the boss. And it's also now created some response in the person they were talking to who may then take that into um, another interaction that says, we're not in a safe place. Our boss doesn't protect us. And then he's unfair. She's unfair. And, and it And it can start to ricochet around. And then you get somebody else who's like, we ought to fight this. And in a very principled way, starts to like take on. And then in meetings, they're taking on the boss. And somebody else is like, uh-oh, it's getting unsafe in here because there's all this drama happening in the meeting between that person and the boss. And then the person who 
doesn't like the drama starts to shut down and other people say, wait a second, that guy never talks in meetings anymore. What's going on with him? What's he thinking about and concealing? And now I'm worried. And, and you know, the worry just ricochets around and really destroys culture. So if, if you think about like, what can we fix? <laughs> if the culture is going awry, it's usually because people are sitting around wearing their armor. Mm-hmm. And if we could unarmor, make it safe again so that people can unarmor, talk to each other from their real selves, you, you get your culture back. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What what are a couple of different types of armor that you see, you know, commonly uh, that people put on? Like, you know, is it like attacking back at people? Is it like, what are some of the types that you would see? Because I definitely see that feeling of like, as soon as one person armors up, then just like you said, there's a more of a threat because maybe they're not being their best self anymore. And now it's like, oh, that person's seen as a threat. So yeah. What are some types of armor that you see? So um, let's see. For Let's say you're feeling undervalued because it always starts with a threat. So if I'm feeling undervalued, I might do the natural normal thing, like talk about myself a little bit more. Let me make sure everybody knows that I actually have value. I might speak up more in meetings. I might boast a little bit about my outcomes. I, I might put some of that out there. So I'm in the meeting flexing. Someone across the room is looking at that armor and saying, what's with that guy? Mm. You know, like he thinks he's the best one here, you know, or she thinks she's the best one here. And then like, wait a second, she's going in my lane. Mm. And that puts me at risk. So now someone else is responding to that kind of flexing armor with um, like a little bit of an undermining armor. Like I'm going to go talk to the boss outside of, you know, what you're, what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Like tell on you a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, talk about, you know, what, what, what the boss might not be seeing about you. And immediately, you know, now you've got drama. Uh-huh. Right? So, but if you think about it, every bit of armor is justified. Where where we feel vulnerable, we put something on that makes us feel stronger. So I, it's justified. It just has really bad impact on other people. Mm-hmm. So those are some examples, like uh, shutting down. Um, you know, sometimes people feel like I'm just focusing on my own work. Mm-hmm. How could that be bad? Well, right. it can be just fine, unless focusing just on your own work boxes other people out and people start to think of you as a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. And you're just avoiding the problem. You should be contributing to the solution and not just like lone wolfing it. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the ones you said as well, right? Being overly aggressive or being pushy or et cetera. Yeah. Some people, when they're threatened, they, they feel in a corner, they'll just attack, you know, and you're like, Whoa, what happened? But it's like, it makes sense when you realize they felt threatened. Um, what about, um, one thing you mentioned in, in the book, I think towards the beginning is you talk about under the table versus uh, over the table and under the table conversations or communication or problems. Uh, can you explain that concept? Sure. So if you think about it in, in any office at all times, there's a, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. There's the work, which is what I consider over the table. Anything that is related to, um, strategy or outcomes or roles and responsibilities, that's over the table. That's the work. What's under the table is everything that's happening in the dynamics between people. So maybe there's some rivalries. Maybe there are some grievances. Maybe there's Mm -hmm. some alliances. Maybe there are some past history that people are not forgetting. And that's Mm -hmm. all under the table at all times. And a lot of times we, we act as if Everything that's happening is above the, is the work, 
Yeah, I I pretty much my my mo in the past has been just to ignore all that and be like pretending like it doesn't even exist. And if I see something coming up, I'm like, yeah, that's probably nothing. Just kind of move on. That's how I I've done it in the past. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to ignore it at, because you're there to do the work. You're not there to like have a group therapy session. But if you start to notice that what's under the table is starting to seep up into the work mm. and it's actually derailing the work, leaders instinctively try to solve those problems from above the table. They're like, okay, there's some drama here. There's some sense of like alliances and conflict and some people aren't communicating well with each other. So now we're going to make a rule that everyone has to CC everyone else on emails. Like, and that is like a strategy from above the table. That's trying to do something below. Yep. They usually don't work. Yeah. Because they're, it's sort of saying, you know, People are going to play by this new rule I'm making and mm-hmm. it'll solve it. So do you think it's better than to kumbaya and like be like, hey, I noticed that everyone's doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I, how do you solve that? Like, how do you not go over the table and bring up people together to go under the table? So I think, you know, in some ways you have to be a bit uh, careful about how you go under the table. But if you're going to go under the table, I would start with trying to learn what's there. Okay. So if I notice someone snipe in the middle of a meeting at someone else, and I really don't know what it's about, as a leader, I might go to that person and say, you know, I noticed that there was this in, this kind of staticky interchange between you and this other person. Would it be important for me to understand more about what's happening there? Because it does uh-huh. feel like it's some, it's re, it, it, it might affect the work, and I'd like to understand it more. So first, going under the table to learn and to hear, and not to solve necessarily, but just to kind of get a sense of happening Hmm. and is this going to require intervention and is there something that I can help with or you can solve on your own with the other person Um, I think people feel team members feel like you're respecting them when you don't just ignore those things that are very obvious to everyone but you actually go hold on just lost something gotta just want to check into it not 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 stop the action on every little tiny thing but on something that feels significant that could potentially derail the work Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah and i've i've done the exact thing that you're talking about and i thought i was doing the right thing and i think sometimes it, it works it just depends on what it is but like i think about like one of our actual core behaviors is uh blame processes not people which i think is a good has a good uh, intention behind it. Um, and it's like, Hey, you know, I don't want to blame this person for getting something wrong or for this happening. I, let's look at the, our systems and see how they kind of failed us and not, and assume the best about people. So overall, I think it's a good principle. However, sometimes it really is a relational issue that's causing something. It's not always a process thing. Um, I think probably most of the time it is. And I think you can kind of avoid some of the potential relational conflicts by having a better process where it's not like chaotic. So there's less opportunities to make mistakes and disappoint each other. Like that can help some, but I've, I've kind of been second or not second guessing. I guess I've just been revisiting that concept and thinking about when that's not always true. And not that I will blame a person, but more like look at, Hey, this may be a relational situation and things are more complex. Like I, I basically like to look at things with rose colored glasses and be like, Hey, unless I hear about something, I'm sure everything's fine. You know, eh, everything's great. I'm just going to keep moving along. But really, I mean, there's probably so much stuff I don't even realize, um, which on one hand, like you said, I feel like it is risky to deal with in some ways and we don't have to solve everything. 
But if it is affecting things, then it's like you do need to kind of take the initiative and actually be willing to look it in the face and figure out what needs to happen. Yeah. I think I, I, I think it's exactly right. I would totally agree with what you're saying. I think you try to fix things with processes. You try to fix things with, you know, obviously not blaming people, assuming the best about people. And the only time I'd say it's worth going under the table is when you recognize, maybe you amend that, that principle to when you can't assume the best about people, try to find a solution. Yeah. Like, like that's something we have to now deal with mm-hmm. when you find that I cannot, I'm having trouble assuming the best right now. And so that's something I want to deal with. The other thing I think it's like really, it's so good to hear you describe that Ben about you, what you as a lead, like your leader approach to it and how you're thinking about it, because in a way it's also saying I'm holding myself to this as well. And I want to assume the best about people is <laughs> you, you don't hear all leaders saying that um, it's a leader can convey in certain ways that they aren't assuming the best about people. And that actually creates threat that then people will get defensive about. So there's so much that's in the leader's demeanor and how you approach it that either makes the, the space safe enough for the team and then you get a nice, well-humming team or there's ways in which a leader can, on purpose or inadvertently, um, kind of shoot off little, I don't know, space invader threats to people <laughs> right. who then feel like, ah, got to protect myself. This yeah. boss is looking for, this boss is, is uh, stowing competitiveness or this person is not going to give you the benefit of the doubt or this, you know, you always have to prove yourself with this person. And then you start to see more of the non-optimal defensive behaviors come out because people are just naturally reacting. And then it's time to fire. <laughs> <laughs> just right to the firing. <laughs> You're like, no to that, but yeah. <laughs> Shell's like, I do not endorse this. No, um, so, you know, in this scenario you talked about, everybody's arm, armoring up. And it, I mean, it's ricocheting, you know, as soon as somebody puts on their helmet, like you said, I think it's great, a great visual because you become less uh, of a person, less human. You don't see their face anymore. Um, you're, you're protecting yourself. You know, you're, uh, you maybe have not just armor, but maybe you have a weapon in your hand, you know? So it's like, oh, well, gosh, I better armor up or I'm not going to survive here. You know, so it basically multiplies the threat. So that does seem like a pretty intense situation. So what, what would you say are, um, what's, what's a good way to start helping people disarm and go back to a situation where people are not armored up if it does escalate to that situation? Yeah, that's the key, right? Because once you get there, it feels pretty hopeless and hard to figure out where do we even start. So the first thing I would say to, let's say, a leader of that team is, um, first of all, this is going to be an under-the-table kind of problem to solve. So for a moment, you're going to, let's say you have an off-site about it, you're going to have to table the work and say, we're not actually talking about the work right now, we're talking about the relationships, we're trying to make it better. We're noticing that it's uncomfortable for people here, we've got to try to make it better. And the way to make it better is for every person on the team, beginning with the leader, to do some version of owning their armor, owning their contribution to it. And in order to do that, you really have to self-reflect about what might I be contributing to um, the team. So the first thing I'd say to the leader is two things. What threats do you think are in the environment for your team? What's coming from outside, like market factors, what's coming from other departments, what's coming from 
what's coming from you, and what's coming from between team members. And if you can start to think about like what are threats that people might legitimately be responding to, then you can very compassionately engage the team to talk about that. And I would do it first as like an, a whole team exercise. Like, okay, guys, what, 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 what do you think of the world? Like, what are the things that are difficult around here that people are responding to that might be causing people to armor up? Here are some things that I think I'm responding to. Uh, I'm getting a lot of pressure from my higher ups and it's feeling like the, you know, our productivity and our outcomes are just getting shoved down at us. And I know I'm shoving some of that at you guys Mm -hmm. and I own that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that makes it harder for all of you. So it's a combination of admitting that there actually are threats that we're responding to owning that you're reactive to it, that every single person in the room is reactive in some way and that that reaction has impact. So if I say, look, I get I'm being a little micromanaging now, and that has impact on you guys, it's making it harder for you, or I own that I've just been ignoring these problems for a long time, and that might be having a lot of impact on you. And then you open the the moment for people to do their own self-reflection and to think about how might our armor be interacting here that creates something that's really difficult. And if everyone is talking about it in a way that you're, you're, you're really having mutual responsibility for it, it suddenly gets safer. Right. Right. It gets safer because now instead of me thinking the whole time, you know, Mark, you know, you're, you know, how you get in those meetings sometimes and you cross your arms and you roll your eyes and like, it drives me nuts. And I want to say that to you. Instead, Mark is saying, I know I roll my eyes sometimes in meetings when I'm frustrated, and that probably has impact on people. So now we don't need to tell you that, right? Right. Right. You've heard it. You've said it yourself, and you're acknowledging, I know I do that. And there's comfort in knowing that that person is self-aware enough to be like, oh, okay, so they understand, so maybe I won't take it as personal. Correct. You know, because of that, yeah. So, And I think what's cool, too, is that opens up the door you know, a lot of times in our, our quarterly reviews, it's like, you know, hey, is there anything that I can change or do you anything that we can do better? And they're like, no, nope, we're good. <laughs> That's <laughs> a really high pitched voice. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. And well, so I think if, if you can, you know, maybe self-reflect as a leader and acknowledge like, and, you know, I think I have been a little bit checked out or I have been, you know, a little micromanagey or whatever that looks like. And then you can bring that up and then say, hey. Do you have any, you know, feedback based off of those things? I think that yes. opens the door, which is, I think, great. Right. And, and, and in addition to just getting feedback, which is a, like a short-term good product of doing something like that, the other long-term good product of doing that is saying, I am a leader who will show you that I'm taking off my armor and that I can take off my armor. And sometimes it's going to go back on and you'll see it go back on, but there'll be a moment later on where you could say, hey, Mark, your armor's back on, doing that thing again. And if we can have that level of discourse between us on a team, it's very safe, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, it, it, like psychological safety makes for everyone to be able, not like at the investment bank where I worked at, where I felt like, how are you going to get the best out of people? Here it's like, if you really, well, in that environment, maybe that is the way you get the best out of people. For, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been there in a long time. But, you know, in most settings, I think people want to feel some sense of respect and that they can be a whole human and that they won't feel attacked or threatened. And that mm. then brings out the best. Yeah. 
Wow, this has been a great conversation for my business and personal life. I know, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, Ben is an amazing note taker, and uh, he usually has some great takeaways for us. So, Ben, what would you say were your top three highlights of this conversation? You always ask for three. You know I'm not going to give just three. <laughs> okay, um, three or I, more. <laughs> You're three to 17 takeaways. No, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep right. it short. Um, so these are just like some key things for me. One was you said when having a fight with your partner, identify what the underlying conflicting values are that you're fighting about. Like that's makes so much sense to me. Uh, you also said, uh, focus on getting good at repair conversations first and then get better at stopping in the middle of a fight later. So that's a great baby step. Um, if you want to have a repair conversation, say what your intentions are before you start talking. I'm going to start doing that. Um, and then when we talk more about the business side of things, you said that all of us have a suit of armor that we put on when we're under threat. And you said everyone on the team, including the leader, must own their armor. And part of that is identifying the threats for yourself and the team, and then also owning your armor, which is basically the way you react when you're under threat. Um, so those are my my main takeaways. That's awesome. And, you know, we like to leave our listeners with an action item for growth uh, at the end of each episode. If someone could take maybe one step closer to to being more more emotionally intelligent or aware, resolving or conflict, resolving yeah, or, conflict, yeah. all that kind of stuff, what what would that be? I mean, I think the first and most important insight about anything related to conflict is we our intuitive way of looking at conflict is to assume that the other person is doing something bad and we are the sad victim of their other person. And this whole way of thinking about it, both of my books and my whole way of working with people to try to resolve conflict is start with the assumption that it's circular. There's something that you're doing that's, re- that's involved. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's much easier to change something on your side. And if, if, if what I do has impact on the other person and I want to extinguish their reaction to the pain that I'm unintentionally causing... I have to be aware that there's a cycle between us, you know, and, and to think about what might I be doing that could be interpreted as hurtful to the other side. And that insight gets you very far down the road from trying to act like constantly trying to change the other person. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'm just, I call it the partner improvement fight in the couple version of it, but it's also like the manager improvement, you know, like I'm trying to improve yeah. my team, I'm giving them a lot of feedback. Like, you know, instead of trying so hard to change other people, think about it's quite possible that their non-optimal behavior is actually defensive. And I might have some piece of that that I'm having. Yes. So that's what I, I'd encourage you to think about. Got it. Yeah. That's really great. Hey, if people wanted to connect with you and, uh, you know, just find more about all the things that you're up to, what would be a great place for them to reach out? So they can find me on michellebrody.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or check out the books. Yeah. Stop the fight and own your armor. I highly recommend both of those. Thanks. That's awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to The Friday Habit. Uh, Go to thefridayhabit.com to find show notes for this episode, 
There you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast apps in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, don't forget to record us a quick voice memo and send it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. Until next time, remember, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.